G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We know that the land of Israel is, in biblical terms, the geographical core of everything God is working to accomplish in the earth. Jerusalem is known as the city of the great king. In Jerusalem is what is renowned to be the single most important piece of geography on all of planet Earth. There's a hill that's unique in its designation, in its history, and in its glorious future. It's called Mount Moriah, the Mountain of the Lord, or today, the Temple Mount. What is so special? Stan Goodenough is a career tour guide in Israel. He's a journalist. He's known as the Jerusalem Watchman, and he's joining us once again today. Stan Goodenough, a special welcome back to 2020. Always good to be with you, Neil. Thanks. Stan, you've been writing about Mount Moriah and the Temple Mount. It's not really a mountain, though, you say. No. In fact, uh, we read in the Psalms that as the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. And one would think that the most important mountain would be the most significantly visible one. Um, In fact, perhaps if uh, I may not not sound irreverent, one might have expected that the Lord would choose for his holy hill uh, something a little bit more spectacular than the scrubby little hilltop, which is on the eastern side of the old city today of Jerusalem. Uh, However, um, just as he once chose uh, a stable uh, for the birth of uh, the king, uh, so the king's hilltop is uh, not Table Mountain in Cape Town. It's not Mount Everest. It's this little hill Uh, in Jerusalem, and it's at the very center of everything that is important and significant about Israel, according to the Bible. Well, there's something very significant, too, as we look at Mount Moriah uh, from a Christian perspective, and the fact that in Jerusalem today, there are two structures on that hill, that mountain, the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock, and those are Islamic structures. That's right. They are Islamic structures. They were they were constructed at the very end of the sixth century. The successor to the founder of that religion, Islam, uh, his name of course was Muhammad. His successor, uh, Caliph Umar, he built these two structures or oversaw the construction of them. Jerusalem was conquered by Islam uh, shortly after Muhammad's death, and at the end of the sixth century, those two structures were put up there. Uh, they stand on top of a platform which was built by another entity uh, who also had an issue with the God of Israel, and that was a man called Herod the Great. Uh, Herod the Great is the, uh, is the Herod in the New Testament who sought to kill Jesus as a baby. He built the platform that's, that covers the mountain and, and the wall that surrounds it. The whole structure 
kind of an esplanade for his for Herod's temple, which nonetheless I think should be noted. Jesus himself referred to as my father's house, even though it was built by a man who didn't like his father very much. Um, so on top of the mountain, covering the mountain, are these Herodian structures and these Islamic structures that are, um, architecturally speaking, I guess, in terms of their origins, both of them are defiant of the purpose of the mountain, which is this very special hill that God singled out 2,000 years before Jesus was born. Well, we might talk about the future in a few moments, but before we do, why don't we just get a little bit of memory of the past around this hill or the mountain of the Lord? And uh, you're saying, and this is a biblical foundation here, that this mountain is the place where Abraham went to sacrifice his son Isaac. Right. So uh, the the mountain for those of your of, of our listeners who've been to Israel or have seen photographs the mountain is most visible from uh, mount uh, the mount of olives of course where we stand and look out over the old city uh, on the east side of the kidron valley so uh, this area was known as the the kidron valley was known as the valley of the king when abraham first went if you remember the bible story went after uh, those who who kidnapped his son his uh, his nephew lot and rescued him and brought Lot back. And when he came to this valley, right next to this hill, um, there was a priest there, a priest of the Most High God called Melchizedek, who came out and gave Abraham bread and wine. Uh, and there's all kinds of interesting aspects to that story, which we won't go into right now. But it was not long after that, that Abraham, uh, who had already had the son Ishmael with Hagar, the Egyptian woman, um, was finally given his own son with Sarah, with Sarah uh, Isaac. And, of course, God said to him, when Isaac was probably about 10 years old or so, God said to him, Abraham, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and bring him to the place that I will show you and offer him up there as a burnt offering. And um, Abraham went from Beersheba, where he lived, three days north, and came to Mount Moriah. And there he tied up his son and prepared to kill him, and God intervened and provided a ram. Very well-known story, one of the most dramatic in the whole Bible, I'm sure. Certainly very emotive. Um, and then right after that, uh, the text tells us that from that time on, it was said that in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Um, uh, it doesn't say what it is, but from then on, people know the mountain of the Lord is a place where you come to, to get an answer to what ultimately will be prayers when Solomon will build his uh, temple there on the same mountain a thousand years after Abraham. And of course, when you're talking about uh, Solomon and the temple, uh, that was the place on this very mountain that David purchased a threshing floor on the hilltop and dedicated it for the construction of the house which his son Solomon would build, a house for God. That's right. That's right, and I'm glad you use the word house, Neil, because this is the this is the text uh, in the Hebrew Bible. It's not temple; it's house. And the whole idea that was in the heart of David, who was not permitted to build this house, was that David had a beautiful palace which he built for himself. But he was troubled at night; he couldn't sleep because, as he said, God was living in a tent. That is to say, the Ark of the Covenant, which had the presence of God above the mercy seat, was in a tent. And so David wanted to build a house for God, and Solomon, his son, would build the house for God, and God would enter the house in the presence of the entire nation of Israel, 
uh, at the Feast of Tabernacles and be seen uh, in his glory, in the Shekinah, as we say in English, in his glory, entering the Holy of Holies. So Stan, today, if you go to the Mount, uh, you can't actually go up onto the mosque or the Dome of the Rock, but you can actually come face to face with the Western Wall. It's, as you were saying, a place where people pray. All right, let me just clarify something very quickly. I know we're a bit tight on time here, but it's important. Often the Western Wall is referred to as the holiest site for the Jewish people. But it's not, not, not from their perspective and not biblically either. The wall is Herodian and it stands around. It's the western side of a four-sided wall that stands around the hill. As I mentioned earlier, the hill is under uh, the platform and behind that wall. Now you can, you can go up onto the mountain. Uh, it's restricted hours. Um, I take groups up there quite frequently as a, as a tour guide. Uh, you cannot go into the Al-Aqsa Mosque or the Dome of the Rock but you can walk around on the, uh, on the whole promenade up there, all the way through and between those buildings. What you may not do is take a Bible up there. What you may not do, if you're a Jew or a Christian, is pray up there. If you try to pray up there, you will get taken off by the police, and I'm speaking from personal experience. So there's a, there's, so there's a lot of controversy around uh, when one can go up, who can go up, and who can worship. The God of Israel on the mountain that God calls his mountain if you're a, a believer in the God of Israel as opposed to Allah, uh, you may not pray on the mountain of the Lord. That's a, a painful irony today. So as the history goes, uh, the house of the Lord uh, was burned to the ground in AD 70. And let's look to the future, Stan. What are the future biblical plans for what happens on the mountain of the Lord? So the month of August, actually, um, uh, this year, the month of August, is the month in which the Jewish people remember the destruction of both Solomon's temple in 586 BC by Nebuchadnezzar and the destruction you mentioned, Neil, by the Romans in AD 70. And uh, this is, there's seven days of mourning, uh, sorry, nine days of mourning that lead up to the, a special fast. Um, as the nation mourns, the loss of the house of the Lord uh, and this is a nation that expects, anticipates uh, a new temple, another house to be built for God on the same place, which obviously geopolitically right now is difficult to work out, although there are signs, I believe, in the Bible that speak, excuse me, that speak very clearly to the future existence of a temple on that mountain. Uh, but uh, the Lord will, will have to intervene in some pretty dramatic ways for that uh, to come about. And uh, the thoughts that go into this, perhaps it's speculation, perhaps there's biblical foundation, but the thought that it won't be overthrown by any group, but that there may well be an earthquake. Is this a biblical foundation to the thought of an earthquake? There, there are a number of uh, prophetic passages in the Bible, both in the, in the Hebrew Bible, the, what we call the Old Testament, and in, in Revelation as well, about earthquakes that will um, damage uh, the land of Israel, um, and Jerusalem in particular. I have been in Jerusalem through a number of earthquakes, and the uh, tremors really, but nonetheless pointing to what um, geologists anticipate will be a major quake uh, at any potentially any, any time right now, uh, the epicenter of which will probably be uh, in the Dead Sea, which is just behind the Mount of Olives, which of course is adjacent to Mount Moriah. 
and it's expect it is expected geologically i mean it's expected that uh, such an earthquake would dramatically alter the topography of jerusalem and of course cause quite a lot of of, of death and destruction uh, biblically um, i believe there are a number of passages that refer to um, earthquakes that will happen in and around um, jerusalem in what we call the last days not least of which, of course, is the massive splitting of the Mount of Olives when the Lord himself descends, as we read in Zechariah, and his feet touch the Mount of Olives, uh, which will then split in two, creating a great new valley from Jerusalem all the way across into what is today Jordan. Um, and then there are Psalms. There's a Psalm as well that speaks to, uh, with very graphic terminology, the earthquake, or an earthquake that, among other things, will release a river whose streams will make glad the city of God. And it says very specifically, the holy place of the dwelling of the Most High. Now, in Israel, we say that the heart of Israel is Jerusalem and the heart of Jerusalem is Mount Moriah. And that is where um, earthquakes, apparently, uh, both geologically and biblically will happen. And also, of course, it's the ultimate destination of the King Messiah. You mentioned at the beginning of our time together today, Neil, that um, Jerusalem is called the city of the great king. That is a term that is used both in the Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and in the New Testament. And it is the ultimate destination of King Messiah. Jews and Christians do not have um, agreement on who the Messiah is at this point, but we all believe that he is coming, and we all believe that he's coming to Jerusalem because that's what the Bible says, and specifically to the mountain of the Lord. And just to end off our conversation, the story is not finished yet, Stan, because you describe from the book of Ezekiel seven full chapters about the building of another house, temple, palace, throne room for the Lord. So the story is not over. No, and this is extremely controversial in uh, Christian circles, the whole issue of a future temple. There are so many perspectives or positions on this. Um, some Christians, many Christians say there's no need for a temple anymore. There won't be a temple because we are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, quoting from the New Testament. Of course, their quote is correct. Uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That is true. We are also the living stones. That is also a New Testament phrase which applies to those of us who believe in Jesus as Messiah. But God is not confused and God wasn't taken aback and or taken by surprise by the uh, so-called dispensational change that happened with the coming of Jesus. And he said very clearly, uh, as you mentioned, in seven full chapters to the prophet Ezekiel that a building would one day stand on the same mountain, which has never been built according to its diameters, according to its details listed very, very um, specifically in Ezekiel. Such a building has never stood before. And God tells Ezekiel, this building will stand. And when it does stand, he says, uh, and only after it does stand, will the name of the mountain and the name of the city actually be changed. And the new name, the meaning of the new name will be, the Lord is there, because he will be there. So its future is, uh, it's a future place, the Temple Mount, and a temple standing on that mount, or a house for God, or a palace with the throne of David for the son of David to take his seat on. That is the core, the central, as you said, geographical core of the whole plan of God's redemption of the world 
focused on Jerusalem. Well, Stan, absolutely fascinating. And I know that there'll be listeners who'll want to read a little more. And you're such a clear writer as to how these things look. And with a biblical foundation for what was in history and what will be in prophetic history future. Stan Goodenough is known as the Jerusalem Watchman. You can find his website at jerusalemwatchman.org. Now, to connect closely with Stan, you can send him an email and you can be added to a subscriber base to get these sorts of articles from zionwarrior at gmail.com. zionwarrior at gmail.com. Stan, good enough. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts with us today on 2020. Always a pleasure, Neil. Thank you. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.